Well, our reading this evening can be found in 2 Peter, um, chapter 3, and we'll start from verse 14, 14 uh, to 18. So 2 Peter, chapter 3, from verse 14 to 18, and this can be found on page 1,224 in the church uh, Bibles. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus and the hope we have in him. And we ask for your help this evening to see that more clearly and gloriously in this passage. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do look up. I'm not a fan of Christmas shopping. Um, There are many things that make me anxious about it. Uh, For one thing, there's the commercialisation of it all. There's the cheesy adverts... Uh, the chaos of it all, the last-minute shopping. There's also, also the planning, you know, that making sure you get your presents early, organising who's coming for Christmas, which family member, you know, which family is coming, all that kind of stuff. Uh, these are things that I'm really, really bad at. But we do it all anyway, don't we? We do the shopping, the planning. We buy all the presents anyway. And we do it for one day, don't we? At Christmas Day. The 25th of December, it will shape how we'll spend our time and money over the next few weeks. How about the return of the Lord Jesus? How will that shape how we live the rest of our lives? Today's Advent Sunday, a reminder of two arrivals. The first one over 2,000 years ago, that very first Christmas when Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins. Advent also reminds us of the second coming, a second arrival, when Jesus will return to rule the world with truth and grace. And the Christian believer is to have a big picture view of all history and where it's headed, the return of King Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Peter in this letter has been encouraging Christians to get ready for the Lord's return by growing spiritually. Adding to our faith, the list of qualities 
back in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. He wants us to remember these things so that we are firmly established in the faith. He also warns us in chapter 2 of the false teachers who will come along with their false teaching and try to to destabilise us as we seek to move forward in the faith. They'll seek to, to push us off the path of salvation and drag us back into destruction with their immoral lifestyle. Peter warns, beware of these false guides. And so as he rounds off his letter, Peter wants us to remember that future day when the Lord will return. And in the meantime, we're to understand that God is not slow in keeping his promise. Rather, he's patient. He's patient. So Peter says, keep looking forward and moving forward to that glorious day. Keep looking forward and moving forward to that glorious day. So our first heading, uh, keep looking forward. Uh, Notice in verses 12 uh, to 14, looking forward is mentioned three times in these verses. Verse 12, as you look forward to the day of God. Verse 13, looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 14, since you are looking forward to this, Peter seems to think that the Christian is forward-looking. I remember before I got married, um, I spent the week before picking up uh, a suit for the wedding, uh, delivering things, getting a haircut, uh, decorating the new house we were going to live in, uh, writing a speech to thank people on our wedding day. It wasn't a very great speech, but there you go. Um, a A future important event shaped how I spent the days before it. Peter says, keep looking to the Lord's return because it will shape how we live now in the present. But there are those in the church that Peter was writing to who who questioned the Lord's return. Earlier on in verse 4, they say, where is this coming that he promised? Is he even coming? Why is he taking so long? In light of this, Peter writes uh, to encourage us to have the right attitude, to to understand God's patience. Verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The Lord's patience means salvation. And we're to adopt the right attitude towards this, towards the times that we live in. In Peter's day, there are those who thought a delay in the Lord's return meant, well, it It's not really going to happen. We're aware of this sentiment in our world today, aren't we? A philosophy to life that says, live your best life now, because this life is all there is. Most of us will know friends and family who who think likewise. They have a cynical view of the afterlife. They're cynical of the Lord's return. The philosopher Bertrand Russell once said, there is a darkness without, and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. Why live in such a world? Close quote. Why live in such a world if this life is really all there is? 
If our life is just a, a triviality in a chaotic universe, then what's the point? Things just go on and on. Uh, generations come and go. And our lives will be lost like a teardrop in the rain, uh, devoid of any meaning or purpose. And if things just keep going on and on, then there is no end to the misery we see in our world. There's no end to poverty or war or injustice because it just keeps going. It's an approach to life that offers no hope at all. That's why the the gospel offers so much hope to our broken world. Uh, The Lord Jesus, he will return one day to make a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 13, there'll be no more suffering or sorrow. There is hope, so look forward to it. But verse 9, recognize that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Uh, Instead, he's patient with us not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's patience in returning, in sending Jesus to return, is for our benefit. God's patience is for our benefit. And so we're to understand this. I guess that God's patience is evident in the fact that you and I are sat here this evening, isn't it? I remember roughly around 2007 or eight. When I knelt down on my knees, I said a prayer, gave my life to the Lord. I asked him to never leave me. I wonder if you remember the day or year when you came to the Lord in repentance, accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. I suppose the Lord's patience is evidence in the fact that you and I are sat here this evening. Isn't it wonderful that today, Sunday, the 3rd of December, 2023, is a day of salvation for many, many who will come to faith, who will repent and accept Jesus as their Lord and salvation. The Lord's patience is not powerlessness or procrastination. No, it means salvation for many. The Lord will return one day and we're to look forward to it having a right understanding of his patience with us. The second half of verse 15. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, taught the same thing in his letters. Uh, Peter wants us to know that both he and Paul agree that the Lord's patience is an act of kindness. An act of kindness meant to lead us to repentance. And he continues... In verse 16, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Yeah, yeah, some of his writing is hard to understand. And yet, Peter wants us to see that this is not the main issue with the false teachers. The main issue isn't that some of Paul's writing is hard to understand, Uh, The main problem is, well, second half of verse 16. Uh, False teachers are ignorant and unstable. They they intentionally distort Paul's teaching to support their heresy. You see, there is a difference between misunderstanding something in the Bible 
and intentionally distorting the Bible. There's a difference between misunderstanding something in the Bible, a passage of scripture, and intentionally distorting it. You see, those who have a misunderstanding, which I suppose has been all of us um, at some point, they're willing to be corrected. However, there's a separate category of people who intentionally and purposefully distort the Bible's teaching. They ignorantly refuse to be corrected. They are unstable because they lead others away from the sure footing of the path of truth. They destabilize them. I suppose it's the difference between walking out of a shop without paying for an item in your shopping. Uh, You realize you've made a mistake and you, you either return the item or you pay for it. As opposed to walking in the shop with the intention of stealing something and then walking back out. The law's not really going to return, so we're free to live how we want or ignore the Bible in certain areas. It's an intentional distortion of the gospel. And Peter says to us this evening, the Lord will return, and verse 15, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. You see, having a right understanding of the Lord's patience helps us to use our time wisely, I suppose. That's one application for us this evening. We recognise that the Lord, he's not slow in returning, but rather he's patient for our benefit. God's patience still means salvation for some of our loved ones our friends and family. And I guess we're to respond not by being passive, but rather by being productive in sharing the good news. It gives us an urgency to our evangelism. If you are here this evening and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, I suppose you don't really give much thought to the Lord's return, uh, let me encourage you to see that the times that we live in is an age of salvation. The time we live in is an age of salvation. God's patience is for your benefit. But this age of salvation won't last forever. Jesus will return one day. It could be tomorrow. In fact, no one knows when he's returning. Verse 10 tells us it will come like a thief in the night. And on that day, well, it will be delight for many and devastation for many more. The Lord is patient because he wants none to perish. And yet it's often the case that for those of us who are Christians, we often struggle to look forward to the Lord's return. Maybe we find it really hard to do so because we've, we've got enough on our plate, frankly speaking. There's a family to raise, a demanding job to contend with, and elderly relative to care for and plus why think about the future life when I've I've got this present life to navigate how does the Lord's return factor into the hustle and bustle into the nooks and crannies of my life how does it factor into how I relate to my grumpy teenager or care for my elderly relative how about those of us who are here this evening who might be slightly younger maybe you're a teenager I suppose you might be thinking, well, I've got my, he- my life ahead of me. Only old people tend to th- talk about the Lord's return. Well, because they've, 
They've lived their life, and they're nearly dead anyway, so it's all well and good for them. (laughs) To an extent, you might be right. (laughs) But let me tell you why, looking forward to the Lord's return, it will shape how we all live, both young and old. You see, as you look forward to the Lord's return, we're constantly reminded that we don't have to live our best life now. As you look forward to the Lord's return, you're constantly reminded you don't have to live your best life now. Your best life is yet to come in the new creation, verse 13. We're looking forward to a perfect world. Once you have that in your mindset, well, it shapes how you live. One thing, it helps you to be patient. So what if I miss miss out on that party or don't get involved in an activity that wouldn't be pleasing to God? I know that delay is not denial. My best life is yet to come, so I can wait patiently. It affects how you relate to others. In the midst of relating to my family member who, who often mistreats me, well, I can look forward to a place where, where righteousness dwells, where there will be no more sin, a place where I won't be mistreated, so I can wait patiently in suffering. It helps us to easily forgive. Because we look forward to a day when the Lord will rightly judge. And so it it slowly frees us from judging others. We can let things go because this life is not all there is. The best is yet to come. Looking forward to the future coming of the Lord Jesus. It will have a profound effect on how we live our lives. So keep looking forward. Keep looking forward. Our second point for us this evening as Christians, we're not only to look forward, we're to, to move forward. Keep moving forward. It's like driving. You know, you simply don't get in the car and look at your destination on the map and then, well, look outside the windscreen and that's it. No, you actually have to put the car in gear and move towards your destination. And so it is with a Christian. If death is not the end, then we must live in light of our heavenly home in light of our future with God, to keep moving forward. But the Apostle Peter knows that if we're to move forward towards our heavenly home, then we need to be on our guard against those who would seek to turn us back into the other direction, towards a life headed towards destruction because of their teaching. So verse 17, Peter says, Therefore, friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. The Bible's teaching about the Lord's return, it will come under attack from the lawless, verse 17. Uh, The lawless are those who who think we are free to live how we want now because, well, the Lord won't return. And it says in verse 17, well, they won't go quietly to their destruction. They'll seek to take others along with them, carrying them away. Be on your guard. Watch out for these false teachers and their ways. I used to be part of the RAF reserves, um, and now and again, um, as a student, and now and again we would go on military exercises, uh, basically pretending to be soldiers. Um, We we might be in a field for two or three days at a time, learning the art of warfare um, and fending for ourselves, whilst uh, protecting ourselves from the enemy, which is fellow officer cadets. But anyway, um, out of all the fun that we had... 
Um, one thing that was drilled into us was the seriousness of falling asleep on watch duty. He never did it. Uh, we took turns in pairs, but it was a seriously punishable offence if you fell asleep. Uh, because falling asleep whilst on guard duty, well, it didn't just endanger your life. No, it also endangered the life of your fellow soldiers. There's a great cost when we don't guard against false teaching in the church. When we fall asleep and allow false teachers to creep in with their destructive heresies, it's not just danger to us. No, it's a danger to to many of our fellow brothers and sisters. That's why there are many in the Church of England who are pushing back against some of the wrong teaching that some of our bishops seek to introduce regarding sex and marriage. It's an example of faithful Christians on their guard, spotting false teaching and posing a rear guard action. Now, I guess you might be asking, how might we spot a false teacher? Uh, What does it look like to be on our guard? Well, one question, one good question to ask is this. What do those who teach us believe about the Bible? do those who teach us believe about the Bible? Uh, Not every interpretation of the Bible is valid. Uh, False teachers will use an appeal to scripture to back their false teaching and immoral lifestyle. I were to spot this early on. I suppose an implication from spotting false interpretation of scripture is to grow familiar with scripture and what it says. Uh, That's why it's good to have your Bibles open, uh, to check what the preacher is saying It's really written in the Bible. Peter warns Christians, if you're to keep moving forward in the Christian life, then be on your guard against those who would would seek to stop your progress. Secondly, we're to keep moving forwards towards our heavenly home by verse 18. Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Uh, Spiritually speaking, there is no standing still in the Christian life. Uh, If we're to to maintain our stability spiritually, uh, then we're to keep moving forward. It is said that at the rich woman's funeral, someone asked, Vicar, they say she was very wealthy. How much did she leave? At which the vicar replied, All of it. They always do. Our earthly possessions will be left behind. But there is something we can take with us beyond death into the next world. And that's our growth in godliness. Uh, It was written of the Puritan preacher, Richard Sibbs, after he died that, of this good man, let it be written that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Of this good man, let it be written that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. As we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we move further away from the path of destruction and closer to what we'll be like when the Lord Jesus returns. Keep moving forward. What does it look like to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? What does it look like to keep moving forward spiritually in the Christian life? Well, one thing's for sure, we, we can't force spiritual growth in our lives. No, 
true spiritual growth is the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, in the Lord's providence, in his great design, we can certainly have an influence on it. It's like, a bit like growing a plant. You can't literally force it to grow, but you can create the right conditions for growth. You can influence it, can't you? You can water it, you can put it in the sunlight. Apparently, King Charles used to sing to his plants. You can influence his growth. What does it look like for the Christian to, to influence how we grow in grace? Well, let me suggest three G's that come from reading God's word. Three G's. Firstly, the, the, the word of God helps us to grow spiritually because it's food for our souls. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 tells us, Man shall not live by bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is food for our spiritual lives. Uh, we, we need to constantly feed on it if we're to grow. So, the word of God helps us to grow spiritually. Uh, the word of the Lord guides us spiritually. Uh, the Bible can lead us away from sin. Psalm chapter eight, uh, 119 verse 133 says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. As we become more familiar with God's word, we become more familiar with what sin looks like in our lives and what godliness looks like. The word of the Lord helps us to, to grow spiritually and the word of the Lord guides us spiritually. And lastly, the word of the Lord helps us to grasp what the Bible says. It helps us to, to divide God's word rightly. Scripture interprets scripture. The more we're familiar with God's word, the more we realise it's saying one message. Jesus, Peter, Paul, the, the Old Testament prophets, they all have one message, all which point to Jesus' return one day. Uh, reading God's word, being established in the Bible will create the right conditions for our growth. I, I find generic aspirations helpful sometimes, but even more helpful at times is having specific aspirations. Why not pick a particular area in your life that you want the Lord to grow you in? Take chapter 1 of 2 Peter, for instance, verses 5 to 8. Uh, which one of those might be a particular area that you'd like the Lord to grow you in. Why not choose one and bring it before the Lord in prayer over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas and beyond? Be specific. And I guess two attitudes, two key attitudes we might have in our desire to grow spiritually is this, patience and praise. Patience. True growth is slow. And so we need the Lord's patience as he works in our hearts over the days, weeks, months, and years. We need patience. And praise. We're often looking for quantum leaps and often forget to praise God for the small everyday changes he makes in our lives. The story goes of a domestic worker who was asked the question, has anything changed since you became a Christian? And to which she replied, not much except I now sweep underneath the rugs when I clean the houses. God is at work in us, constantly shaping and moulding us 
Uh, let's not forget to keep praising him as he moves us forward spiritually in the Christian life. And when it's all said and done, as we, as we guard ourselves from the false teachers, as we grow in grace, as we look forward to the Lord's return and grow in godliness, who will get the glory or the praise? Well, Peter wants us to have no doubt as he rounds off his letter as to who the glory belongs to. Second half of verse 18. Those immortal words, to him be glory both now and forever. If there's one thing we can leave here confident in as true believers, it's not in our ability to keep ourselves looking forward or moving forward. If left to us, None of us would make it. No, uh, the one thing we can be confident in this evening is that only by God's grace can we stand in the Christian life. It's the Lord Jesus who by his spirit keeps us every day, helping us to look to his return, to move forward towards it spiritually. Uh, He's the only one who can keep us from stumbling. And one day... The Lord Jesus himself will present us without fault in the glorious presence of God. To him be glory both now and forever.